God's Word, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Lord, would you take these beautiful words of life and work them in us, that we might be more like you, and so that when we speak, we would reflect your beautiful words to those around us. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Well, I don't know if this toy is as popular as it used to be, but when I was a child, and at least when my children were younger, there was a round plastic toy which had a lever, and when you pulled it, the middle would circle around and it would say, the cow says moo, or the pig says oink. And you could go around and whatever picture it would end up on, it would say, the animal says, and it fills in the blank with their sound, roaring, barking, oinking, meowing. What would it say if we pulled the lever and it ended up on humans? The human says, what would we say? Sadly, rather than our words giving life, our words are often a means of death. Too often our words reflect the character of the devil, not the character of our creator. And yet our words are one of the distinct ways that God made us different than every other animal that he made us in his image. Yes, a dog may convey something by its growl, by its pant, by its bark, wolf, howl, whine, or even sigh. Yet a dog has never written a sonnet to the sunset. It's never spoken a command to Siri. It's never built someone up with their encouragement or torn someone down with a biting remark. The dog has never promised an evening out nor declared a clear certain punishment for a wrong rendered. God has made us uniquely in his image. And one of the clearest ways we reflect God is our speech. So how should we use our words? As with all of these instructions here in verses 25 through 32, Paul begins with the negative. He gives us first, don't speak this way, don't use destructive words, but instead use constructive, build people up. And then he's going to end that, this little one by talking about how our words can grieve or bring joy to the Holy Spirit. So if you have a bulletin, you can see that outline on the back. First, we'll see destructive words. Then we'll see constructive words. And then lastly, spirit-grieving words. And so Paul begins here with his statement, Let no corrupting word come out of your mouth. Now the Greek word for corrupting refers to something that was spoiled, like a rotten fish or rotten fruit. And we live a long way from the coast. So if you ever see fresh shrimp, it's not fresh, just give you a little tip there. We live a long way from the coast, and so we're not as familiar with fish, and we have refrigeration, so it lasts a little longer. But we've all 
going to grab a piece of fruit, and when you grab it, it oozes in your hand, and juice falls out, and the fruit flies come out, and it just stinks. And all you want to do is just throw it away. It's disgusting. Well, that's the image Paul gives for too often our words. That too often the words we use are no better than to just be thrown in the trash. They are putrid. They stink. They do nothing for health and health. You know, there's many types of words like that, but let's look at five types of rotten fruit-like words. The first is lying and its subset flattery. Now, we spoke extensively about lying in verse 25, so I'm not going to rehash all that, but we'll say a couple things, and we're going to look at many Proverbs. So keep up your place in Ephesians and turn to Proverbs, because we're going to be looking at these various five ways and some of the building up ways by seeing exhortations and words of wisdom. First, Proverbs 26, verse 28. Now, if you're one who like wants to have all these, these are printed out on the sermon notes. If you're like, I can't keep up, so yeah, I, I can give them to you if that's causing a distraction. Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue hates its victim, and a flattering mouth works ruin. It is impossible to love someone while lying to them at the same time. Likewise, while flattering them may seem like, oh, I'm helping them feel good, if you're telling them lies, eventually when the truth comes out, they're going to wish you didn't flatter, but that you told them. That's not going to work. That's not going to be enjoyed. You're making a mistake. And so we use corrupting words when we lie and flatter. Second type of corrupting words, and often related, are slander and gossip. Now, we use slander very specifically for when you speak something untrue about someone. Gossip may or may not be true, but Scripture condemns both. Flip over to Proverbs 20, verses 19 and 20. It says, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. We'll stop there in verse 19. And we know how it begins. You're there and you're in your workplace and they say, well, do you know how they really got that promotion? Ooh, how did they really get it? What did they do? What relationship do they have? Who did they pay off? And we want to know this juicy morsel. Oh, you know why they were late to work this morning? Ha <laughs> And we want to hear the words. And we love them so much. Flip over to Proverbs 26, 22. Notice what it says about these words. The words of a whisperer, a gossiper, a slanderer. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. We love to read. We love to hear about the dirt on others. And yet, as we'll see later, if we love people and they have dirt in their life, we go talk to them. I don't need to talk to you about their sin, I need to talk to them about their sin if I love them. And so gossip and slander are a putrid type of word. And if we don't put our, put our gossip and slander to death, our relationships crumble. Flip back a few Proverbs to Proverbs 16, 27 and 28. Proverbs 16, 27 and 28 says... A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. It continues, 
A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. You know, in so many communities, whether that's a school, theater, work, family, sadly even at times church, people complain, there's so much drama in this place. People are going around gossiping, slandering, and the slander, the gossip, makes it completely unenjoyable. It destroys the relationships. That's why Proverbs 26, 20, I'll just read this one, says, For a lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. You know, if I have a problem with Jill, and I go talk to Jill and not tell Bob and Joe about it, then the problem stops because I've talked to her and resolved it. But when I go and gossip to the others, it continues to sow dissension and destroys relationships. The third type of corrupting words are when our manner does not match the content. This is another one we talked about. Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. You know, a friend of mine once noted how many relationships are destroyed by people just telling the truth. Venting, getting it off your chest. It feels good in the moment, but it's like warming yourself by setting your house on fire. You're no longer cold, but you're going to have much bigger problems later. Speaking the truth in love is what we're called to do. We can't rationalize and say, well, it's true, isn't it? God cares about more than just the content of our words. He cares about the manner as well and that we speak the truth in love. The fourth type of corrupting words are belittling speech that puts others down. Proverbs 11, verse 12. So, book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 12. It writes, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Now, the point is not you see a problem and so you just don't say anything. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The point is that you see their mistake and you belittle them for that. Yes, it's right to be frustrated. It's at times, as we had a sermon on, even right to be righteously angered by their actions, yet to descend into name-calling, derogatory remarks. It says here, this is a man who lacks sense. You know, we should also avoid the folly of saying something biting and then saying, ah, oh, I was only joking. Proverbs 26, 18, 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. You may have gone and shot a bow and arrow at some time. You know, if you're there and you just saw someone grab an arrow and just kind of turn and fling it out, you go, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? You grab the arrow, you look at the target, you make sure no one's downrange, and then you shoot. If you just grab them and shoot it, yeah, you might not hit anyone, but there's a chance you're going to really hurt someone. Well, that's what Proverbs says the person is like, the person who just randomly shoots arrows, who goes around and says really biting, cruel things, and then afterwards goes, I was just joking. <laughs> I said I hate you. <laughs> I said nobody loves you and you're a horrible person. I'm joking. Well, no, that's destructive, putrid, rotten fruit-like words. And this leads to our fifth type of corrupting words, mindless speaking. Proverbs 10, verse 19. Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, <coughs> transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips 
is prudent. Some of us need to learn that silence doesn't always have to be filled. You can just not talk. You don't always have to say something. Sometimes silence is golden. In contrast to our hasty words, James 1.19 declares, Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak. And one area where it's good to be silent is when someone has sinned against you. If you have someone something against someone, you need to talk to them about it in private. And then once you've resolved it, you leave it in the past. Turn to Proverbs 17, verse 9. Proverbs 17, verse 9. There it reads, Whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter, keeps bringing it up over and over, separates close friends. There's a time to be silent because you have forgiven. Now let me quickly add, this is not saying that if you have someone that you love and you see a repeated series of actions that it's wrong to say, hey, you know, last Thursday you did this and then Sunday and then Monday, but you're bringing it up not to harm them, but to help them realize, look, this is a pattern in your life. The issue is, are you bringing it up to harm or bringing it up to help? And all of these Proverbs, all of these five ways are explaining the various types of destructive, rotten fruit-like words that we use. And not only do they stink, they destroy. In fact, words have more power than any physical restraint or weapon. We all know how false the saying is that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. In fact, it's often the opposite Sticks and stones only momentarily break bones, but the hurt of words can go on forever. At the same time, as we'll see next, words have the power to heal, to bring life. In fact, words might be one of the most powerful items that God has given you in your life. And in this, we need to confront something that we probably all have all said or maybe even heard. And that is, if you don't have anything nice to say... Don't say anything at all. Now, there's an element of truth to that. Yet, as we flip back to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll probably be coming back to Proverbs in a minute, we'll see that we're called not just to not let corrupting words go out of our mouth, but notice what he says next. He says right after that, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. If we have nothing nice to say, then we need to cry out to God, would you help me to bless those who curse me? Would you help me to return evil for good and know how to speak building up grace-filled words, grace-filled words? And that's our second section, constructive words. So in contrast to those destructive words, we speak anything good to build them up you know, in many areas of life, you have to have an aim. You have to have a goal. If you're throwing a cornhole bag, stitching a shirt, making a recipe, creating a spreadsheet, you don't just randomly do that. You don't just grab a cornhole bag and just throw it. You don't just take a needle and shove it anywhere in the shirt. You don't just start throwing ingredients in a bowl or just put numbers on a spreadsheet. You have an aim or an objective or a target. Well, Paul declares that the bullseye for your words, is that the people who are hearing them 
would be built up, that they would have grace infused into their life due to the words that you speak about them. And the words we use and the timing we must consider are clarified. Notice what he adds to it. As fits the occasion. Just because something is true. And just because you're saying it in a loving manner does not mean it fits the occasion of what's going on. There are times to use words and times to be silent. At times, it's good to help someone laugh. And there's time to refrain from laughing. Let's look at a couple more Proverbs. So we're back to Proverbs. Proverbs 25, verse 20. The book of Proverbs, chapter 25, verse 20. Whoever sings to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. They are grieving and you're coming along just chipper and trying to have a good time and it's burdensome to them. On the flip side, somber warnings of you're going to die and face the judgment. One day we're all going to go to heaven or hell. Well, those are important words, but maybe not the occasion of a birthday party or a wedding. We need to have the right occasion for when we have the right conversations. Yes, an appropriate conversation, but that's not the time. Flip side, they're grieving. Now's not the time to live up the old family memories that everyone laughs about. You're probably an obvious one we all have lived through. Proverbs 27, 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as dripping. You don't want to be cheerful. You just woke up and they're singing zippity-doo-dah. You're like, I have something I want to do with that zippity-doo-dah. But that's another sermon. Nonetheless, using the right occasion is what we need to do. Now, flip back just one chapter, Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, because sometimes this, the occasion includes the person. 26, verse 4, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. So there's one type of fool that they are just giving these worthless debates, and if you jump in, you're never going to solve their questions because they're not real questions. You're a fool to jump in. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. On the other hand, failing to answer this person might make them think, oh, everything I say is so incredible. No one could ever defeat it. And so sometimes we need to answer the fool. So when do we answer? When do we not? Well, it takes wisdom. And that's why this is challenging. It's very challenging to know when to speak, what to say, and how to say it. There are no clear-cut answers. Rather, they are principles, but it takes wisdom that only comes with time, patience, and experience. And that's not just our speaking. There's so many areas of life where you only get good at something as you do it over and over. Consider something super basic, like icing a cake. I mean, it looks so easy. You whip the stuff, you dump it on, and you spread it. Can it be that hard? Until you try it, and then you go, how do they make it look so smooth? And How do they make the edges? Mine, icing here and icing there, and it seems so hard. You, you watch the person who just whips it, and it looks perfect, and yours is globs. How do you do it? And they can tell you all the principles, 
But it takes time to get that muscle memory, to learn where to push hard, where to push soft, how soft is the butter, and all of these things. Well, much more important than icing a cake, we can learn the principles that we're talking about this morning of what to say, what to avoid, and yet it's going to take a lifetime to grow in the wisdom of how do I speak at this moment to this person? How do I give words that will build them up? And we must cry out to God for wisdom. And yet, we should realize how important this is. This is not something that we should say, well, that's for others. We should all want to have these wonderful words. We're going to start in Proverbs 10, 11. I put these in order so we can flip through them. But I want to show you several verses that show how helpful your words can be. Proverbs, beginning in chapter 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. You want your words to be pouring out to others life. Flip, or just go down 10 verses, Proverbs 10, 21. The lips of the righteous feed many. You know, your words can fall on people like a spring rain that leads to flourishing. Your words can be food that satisfies their soul. Flip over Proverbs 12, verse 18. It adds, there's one who speaks rashly, like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Down just a few verses, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You can go to medical school, you can go to pharmacy school, and you can learn how to heal people medically with their medicine. You can also know words that can bring healing to people emotionally and spiritually and bring joy and comfort to their life. And for us to be like this, though, we have to give thought to our words. You know, there are some people who just seem to have a knack. They always know the right thing to say. They know how to do it. And yet, for most of us, we must ponder. So flip over to Proverbs 16, 23 through 24. For most of us, we need to hear this where it says, The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious. They stop, they consider, and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. You know, most of us, when we have important things to say, would do well to sit down and reflect, to consider, to plan what you're going to say so that we might have words that produce life. And when you do this, God will often use your words to bring healing and joy. And all of this leads to Proverbs 18.21, the last one, I believe, of Proverbs for today, where it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So we've looked at some ways our words can be destructive. Let's look at just two ways our words can give grace to the hearer. First, we can speak words of encouragement. This is the opposite of the person who's belittling. This is giving thanks to people for what they've done or giving praise for them. And almost everyone has something good about them. You know, there may be things about that person that drive you crazy. But if you back up, almost every person has things in their life that you can say, I am so appreciative when you do X. Or I really am so thankful when I saw you do this. 
You know, I've observed your parenting. It really encourages me the way you patiently and consistently interact with your children. You know, those words can bring refreshment to someone in their day. And we all need encouragement. We all grow weary, and we need the encouragement to keep going. We get tempted by sin, and we need to encourage each other as sin is daily trying to harden our hearts to its deceptiveness, deceitfulness. And we need reminders of God's promises of sin's destruction and the pleasures of holiness. In the book of Acts, as you read through, you come across a man named Joseph, and yet the apostles gave him a nickname. His nickname was Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, means encourager. You know, what a nickname to be given, that you are known as an encourager. When that person comes in, I just leave feeling so much better. They're such a Barnabas. And Paul even knew that the church in Colossae was in needing of encouragement, so he sent a man there named Tychicus, and he talks about how he sent them for the very purpose of informing and encouraging them. They knew Paul was in prison. They probably wanted to hear how he was doing, and he came to deliver the letter to the Colossian church so that they might be encouraged. Yes, they and we know and trust God's sovereignty, but we still need people to speak to us, remind us of these wonderful truths. So, constructive, grace-inducing words, they encourage. But also, second, constructive, grace-inducing words, warn and rebuke. Your warning and rebuking are the opposite of lying, flattery, or gossip. You know, I didn't label this section positive. I labeled it constructive because sometimes constructive words are not positive. A correct diagnosis of a disease is not a positive word but it is a word that may bring life. We're right now remodeling our kitchen, and the first thing we had to do was rip out the bad. To put in the good, you have to get rid of the bad. And sometimes we want to encourage people in their life, so the first thing we have to do is let them know of the sin that needs to be taken out. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Or one chapter over Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Now, of course, this needs to be said in love. But the opposite of flattery here is not just unloading on someone. It's not just, I'm going to give you a truth bomb, as we might say. You know, in love, we don't flatter and we don't avoid. We don't gossip or talk to others. Rather, if someone is caught in sin, we go and talk to them. You know, if someone is caught in their sin, it's unloving to not address it. They're going to sin in the same way against you or against others. And so we gently, humbly, at the right time, talk to them. And like we said, with encouraging words, we have to be wise in how we go about rebuking. Flip over to Proverbs 25, 11 through 12. Proverbs 25, 11 and 12. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening 
ear. You know, the fitly spoken word, that's what it says. The fitly spoken word considers the time, the other person's current emotional state, and even the place. Yet if the person has a listening ear, your words to them are better than gold jewelry, it tells us. You may be familiar with the story in 1 Samuel 25 of David, Nabal, and Nabal's wife, Abigail. Nabal had many sheep, and he had many servants, but David and his men were in the surrounding region, and while David and his men were there, he helped protect the sheep. And so David thought it was fitting that when his men needed some food, he should ask Nabal, and Nabal should respond in kind. So David sent some messengers to Nabal and said, hey, could you send some food for me and my men? And Nabal sent a message back basically saying, you're a rebel going against King Saul. I'm not going to help you. Well, David then says this, 1 Samuel 25, 21 through 22, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and his, he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. So David is in a rage, and he is literally going to kill every single one of Nabal's men in Nabal. So what does Abigail do? She hears about this. She loads up animals with food. She goes out. She bows before David, makes a confession for what Nabal did, gives the food, and, asks, and basically tells David, don't do this. You're going to ruin your reputation. And then notice what David says, 1 Samuel 25, 32-33. For her rebuking of his actions, calling off his sinful vengeance, he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. Abigail's words of rebuke were what caused David to bless God. They were words that brought life. So how are you using your words? Are your words being unleashed to destroy or to build up? Do you encourage those around you, or are you known for your critical spirit? Do you flatter and gossip, or do you talk to those in need of rebuke? As you think of your relationships, what might be someone that even this week, maybe even today, you could speak a word of encouragement and praise into their life? And yet the thing that Paul's going to show us next, back in Ephesians chapter 4, is that our words are not just interactions between people. Our words are part of an invisible spiritual battle going on. And thus we can have either spirit encouraging and rejoicing words or spirit grieving words. So this will be our last section, spirit grieving words. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, this highlights here an important truth, and that is the Holy Spirit is a person, and thus he can be grieved. You know, the Spirit of God is not a force or an aura or an it. He is the eternal third member of the Trinity, fully equal in power, essence, and being. And your life, your words we're seeing here, can bring delight to the Spirit of God, or they can bring grief. We are often completely unaware of the spiritual domain that exists. Look back up at verse 27. 
there talking about our anger, he says, and give no opportunity to the devil. When we allow anger to, re- to reside, to remain, we are helping the devil. And here we're seeing our destructive words grieve the Holy Spirit. The men have been studying the book of James, and likewise James 3.6 says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Our tongue, James is telling us, is set on fire by hell, which means that Satan himself encourages our sinful tongues. Whether we realize it or not, when we lie, gossip, slander, or use any other sinful speech, we're being used by Satan. A few years ago, I watched a football game in which two players got confused. They had their heads down, and they forgot, they didn't look up, and they ended up blocking their own teammate. It's a funny clip you can watch of two guys working as hard as they can against their own team. And sadly, we can be like that. We're working hard, we're doing our best, but if we're tearing down instead of building up, if we're unleashing bitter words, if we're spewing out gossip, our intentions might be good, but we are helping Satan. God wants to use our words to build up. So Paul tells us more about the Spirit and why this matters, because he writes about the Spirit that in Him, in whom, you were sealed to the day of redemption. And we talked about the sealing back in Ephesians chapter 1, 11 through 14, because verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 1 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The moment anyone trusts in Christ, the moment they are saved, they are sealed with the Spirit. A couple of summers ago, we were in Canyon City, Colorado, and there in one of their downtown buildings, they have this massive wooden structure. It's been there since 1897, and on it are these wooden plaques that have the name of a rancher, and then next to it, their cattle brand. So if you go and find a cattle, all you got to do is look at the brand, look at the name, go, that's Farmer Johnson's cattle. He has that brand. That's the seal. It shows the owner, the authenticity of that cow with that owner. In Paul's day, they would pour wax on a document, and they'd put a ring or some other seal in it, and then they could know this is the official document. It's authenticated. Well, when we're sealed by the Spirit of God, that marks us as God's child, part of His kingdom and His church. Yet there's a difference between those cattle brands in Canyon City and our sealing of the Spirit, and that is the sealing of the Spirit is in our hearts. You know, there's no visible sign that says that person's a Christian, that person is not. We don't have any distinct clothing or anything like that, but we're being shown here the way we know the sealing of the Spirit is the words that come out of our mouth. Jesus said, Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our words flow from what is inside of us. So if we're a new creation by the Spirit with a new heart, we'll have new words. This is why Jesus continued in Matthew chapter 12. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. 
That's why also James 1.26 says, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Our words reveal what's going on in our hearts. Our words show who owns and rules our hearts. Thus, James will later say, No human being can tame the tongue. Now, notice James did, write, did not write, No one can tame the tongue, because God, by His Spirit, can tame our wild tongues. And so, saying the Spirit sealed us points to the beginning of our relationship with Christ, the day we're saved. And the day of redemption refers to the day when we are brought to heaven with Christ. So Paul is showing us what the Spirit did at the beginning. He sealed us. And what he's taking us to in the end, our redemption. Now, look back one chapter, Ephesians chapter 3, because in this chapter, we see what the Spirit is doing between those times, between when we're saved and when we are all redeemed. Ephesians chapter 3, 9 and 10, where Paul's declaring his ministry, and he says it's to bring to light the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You know, we looked at that. We highlighted how God has saved people from various ethnicities, various social classes, various countries, both genders of different political stripes and so many other differences. And then through our diverse lives, we have one unified body. And when we live as one, the Spirit of God is manifesting, notice to who it says, it is manifesting to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, God's wisdom. And so the Spirit of God is trying to build a people who reflect God's wisdom in the gospel. So many things divide us, and yet the gospel of Jesus Christ should unite us, no matter our other differences. And so when we use destructive words, when we tear apart the unity of the church, we are actively working against what the Spirit of God is trying to build up. He's trying to build unity in God's people. And yet to speak anything that destroy goes against the Spirit's work. It'd be like if I walked into our kitchen and Sarah had a chainsaw and was going through the new cabinets. Like, what? Why are you working against the very thing we're trying to do? So why would we use words that will tear down rather than build up when the Spirit of God is trying to build up a people for God's glory? And that's why I think Paul adds here this comment about the Spirit being grieved. You know, is the Spirit not grieved when we get angry? No, he's grieved. Is the Spirit not grieved when we're stealing? No, he's grieved about that. But in a unique way, our words bring disruption or they bring community and unity. You know, one author writes, lots of people think sexual sin is the most serious sin in the church today. Baloney. Sinful speech kills a lot more churches than sexual sin. Critical words, divisive words, angry words, complaining words, unthankful words. These do more damage than all the affairs. Or as Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. I was probably about eight years old when at Christmas I opened a package and saw my own Red Ryder BB gun. Glossy box, 
Red Rider himself on it on a horse shooting. It was basically me. And had a beautiful wood stock, leather hanging off a little piece of metal on it. And I, I was going to go shoot up the Wild West. And yet my dad, before he let us go out and shoot, he taught us a few things. He said, always treat every gun as though it's loaded. Never aim a gun at anyone, even in joking. And he gave us several other instructions. As I got older, he allowed me to use a little bit more powerful guns, and he always repeated those cautions. Then when I was somewhere in the 11 to 13 age, he took me and my brother to a gun safety course, and we learned all these other things about guns, how to be safe, how to handle them, how to clean them, all these things. He went to all this effort to teach us because guns are powerful and can do great harm or great good based on how we use them. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, we have been given something more powerful than any gun. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words can grieve the Holy Spirit and delight Satan, or our words can bring anger to Satan and bring joy to the Spirit of God. Our words can tear down or build up. They can bring harm or healing. The words that come out of us, though, they're only a reflection of what's already inside us. That's why we have to be grounded in the truths of Ephesians 1 through 3, why we have to know who we are in Christ. That's why we must never be complacent. You know, God's desire for us is not just, well, I want them to be saved and then get them to heaven. No, God desires for every one of us to be a reflection of him in this world. He saved us so that we might be like him, be restored in relationship to him, and then day by day grow to love him more and reflect him more so that the world might see him in us. And how are we going to do that? It's as we're changed from the inside out. So we need to press on to know the Lord. Let's not be complacent in our spiritual walks, but may we zealously seek to know and be like God so we can reflect Him in this world through our words. Let's pray. Lord, You're the only being that spoke and things came into existence. Lord, Your words have the power to create life. Lord, in our minuscule reflection, You have allowed us the ability to speak death or life into people's life. Lord, we can't Bring it about as you do. Only your words don't return void. But may we seek to speak words that build rather than destroy. May we seek words that heal rather than harm. Lord, we often fall so short. I fall so short. So would you help us this week to use words that reflect you in our lives. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.